0: Hi there, my fellow Funsmiths. The following conversation is with my colleague, Pete Cooper, who's a 20 plus year video game art veteran. Now throughout his career, Pete has worked with game titles such as Star Wars, Call of Duty, Diablo, World of Warcraft, 007, League of Legends, and even more. Now that game art experience extends to almost every sub-discipline under the umbrella of game art, including concept art, animation, illustration, level design, 2D and 3D environments, character art, UI, art direction, game education, mentorship, and even management. And during his tenure at Riot, Pete executed some feats many high-level Rioters at the time, including myself, considered impossible. Of course, until he proved us all wrong. And examples of feats include leading the environment team in build an entire map update during a weekend. He's also built a playable minigame demo without any pre-production within 48 hours, and that later got over a million downloads. And now, Pete is running his own game studio, Monster Cauldron, where he's developing his own game vision. And in parallel, he also runs the nonprofit Gamers for Good, where he organizes gamers and game devs to give back to the community and help those in need. Alright, if you enjoyed this conversation with Pete, please help support our channel by sharing this episode with your friends, family, and anyone who can benefit from it. So, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit that bell icon so you'll be notified when we release the very next episode.
1: How are you doing today?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: Glad to hear it, Pete. I'm doing real well.
0: (laughs) It's good to have you here, Pete. It's been a while since we've met in person.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's great to be here. uh, Yeah, last time we met was uh, in Irvine,
0: right? Yeah, pre-pandemic, right? Man, we sat down, we had a burger. We were like, oh, life is good, right?
2: Yep. And uh, then 2020 happened, kaboom.
0: it yeah. Did. Well, you've done some pretty uh, interesting things since uh, 2020, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's been a lot going on with me for sure. Um, I I uh, went to Airship Syndicate, which uh, you know was a place I really wanted to work. Uh, I had some friends there. Grace was there. Um, and then a couple weeks after I started, uh, COVID hit, and it was crazy and all of a sudden we went from you know me trying to get to know people in the office to everyone's working remote uh, <laughs> so so uh, i never really got acclimated to the team uh, very well um, mm. so i worked on uh, the ruin king which actually just came out this week uh, very good game um, and after working there about eight nine months uh, i decided that you know i this really wasn't for me. Um, mm. So then, you know, I took a break and it was it was a, a great break. It took a few months to just kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then I decided, yeah, I want to I want to start uh, a, a game studio. You know, I've been making games for close to 20 years. Uh, might as well, you know, give it a shot. You know, I think-
1: and that's Gamers for Good?
2: No, no. Gamers for Good is uh, our non-profit organization that me and my wife run. Um and we've been doing that on the side for a long time. God, 12 years maybe? Something like that. Yeah. Um,
0: I remember the time you invited me to join Gamers for Good. We went and did the Thanksgiving thing, right? We um served Thanksgiving dinner to like a couple hundred families. Yeah, right yeah. Here in LA.
2: Yeah, it was awesome. I didn't even know
0: that was a I didn't even know that was a thing you could do in LA. It was like awesome. It was like it was so nice. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: amazing. So, can you tell us a little bit about Gamers for Good and what your mission is with all of that?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so Gamers for Good is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping gamers give back. So, we're uh, we do community service. Um, we do we we were making games. For a little while, um, that's that's kind of on pause now. But they were games that were focused on um, finding interesting ways to integrate charity aspects into them. Um, uh, we've raised a bunch of money for other game-related charities uh, to to kind of shine a light on them and and you know, give them some support. Uh, so yeah, we've we've done a we've done a lot of stuff. Uh, we made a couple art books um, that were focused on giving giving all the proceeds to different charities um Mm -hmm. yeah so it's just helping the game dev community and gamers uh focus on charity
1: that's really awesome so then what about the studio that you said you just started working on during the pandemic because i don't think i know anything about that
2: yeah yeah so uh in may so so it was interesting at the beginning of this year i decided okay i want to i want to start a game studio so um, I started talking to a bunch of people, I know a bunch of, bunch of friends, um, and kind of figuring out who I want to work with, uh, who would be great to partner with, uh, you know, just, uh, talking to lots of people. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. I actually did a prototypes with a few different teams. Uh, uh, I was trying to figure out what I want to do. Um, and at the same time, uh, it was interesting. So the same time, uh, I was helping a solo dev friend finish his his game galactic mining
0: corporation uh this guy he's a friend of mine huh i played that my uh friend um simone actually did some of the art there like a little piece of it
2: oh really well that's yeah well he's this guy's a solo dev i think it's a different game uh so this was
0: the game with the big drill and you go drilling to the ground right yeah yeah yeah, uh, she she helped him. Might have been something really simple, but um, she like told me about the game. And she's like, my friend just finished Galactic Mining Company. I helped him with something really minor on it. We oh. go take a look at it, and you like drill into the center of the planet, right? And little gems come popping out. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's, it's a really really fun game. Uh, so I had I had a ton of fun helping him with that. Um, mm-hmm. So after after doing prototypes and working with uh, people and and figuring out uh, scope. Like we were, uh, I was talking to someone who, uh, we were talking about getting, you know, millions of dollars in funding and, you know, making a, a big studio and, and, you know, it, it, just started feeling kind of unappealing because then you're getting back into the hiring mode and you're getting into HR mode. And, you know, once, once you, once you once you start a big legit company, it very quickly turns out, you know, turns from making stuff to managing, <laughs> like very quickly. Right. Uh, so I, I spent the past decade basically managing. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah,
0: maybe you should uh, walk the, walk the people who don't know you through the stuff you did before uh, you went off and did D space.
2: Oh sure yeah. So um, I've been making games since 2002. I think that was the first game I made. Um, I graduated from Full Sail. It was Back in the day, that was the only that was like the only school that had game stuff in it. Uh, but they didn't have a game degree; it was a computer animation. Uh, mm. And I, I learned on Maya four uh, <laughs> way back. Oh
1: my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> way
2: back wow. when it was NURBS modeling and stuff. It was really funny. Oh. Um, wow, I
0: remember the nerves. That was crazy time. It, was, it so, was. Like so slow to work with. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you
2: had to put a, a, a curve through the entire model if you wanted to make one little adjustment on anything. Oh, what?
1: That's so funny. I took, a, obviously, I've taken some Maya classes myself. And in all of the classes I've taken, it's basically there's polygons and there's nerves don't do anything with nerves just ignore them we're only going to use polygons <laughs> yeah
2: yeah that's that's a that's a dead idea now um so i got i got my first job immediately out of school I actually i actually got hired before i graduated um got a, a really good portfolio I was a super hard worker Um, so i had multiple job offers prior to graduation um, so my first job was at a studio called n space that was local in orlando florida And I really wanted to work there because uh, I heard they were working on a game for Nintendo and I heard Miyamoto was was uh, basically consulting on it. And and that to me is just like, oh, well, of course, I want to work on something like that. That's crazy. Um, So it was uh, it was a game called Geist on the GameCube. Uh, It was a weird game where you're a ghost and you possess all sorts of crap. You can possess soda cans and roll around and shake and explode um so that was that was fun uh i also while i was there i also had to work on uh star wars force unleashed uh and um call of duty modern warfare uh the the first oh, one.
0: small games no one's ever played any of those. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah they, they, they weren't all that fun to work on but um yeah, they were it, it was it was pretty challenging working with Activision and LucasArts. But at the, the I worked on a really, really bad game uh, <laughs> there. It was uh, GoldenEye, not the good one, the terrible when EA bought the, the Goldeneye IP and just kind of drove it into the ground. Uh, GoldenEye Whoops. Rogue <laughs> Agent for the Nintendo DS. Is just oh, one of the no. worst games ever made. <laughs> it's so
1: there's a lot of bad DS games. <laughs> yes, like just throwaway. They're like 59 cents at GameStop now. Yeah, type this of was games. this
2: was super throwaway, man. Oh, but yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I didn't do too much work on that, but that, that was just a funny project
0: altogether. Yeah. Um, that's a fire to be forged in though right going through all that craziness it
2: is yeah 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 going through crazy crunch wild deadlines uh yeah it was it was it was crazy so that was a that was an interesting studio um i enjoyed it i met a lot of great people uh learned a lot um then uh blizzard actually recruited me from there um yes which was which was cool like um they found me um Actually, Kenny Carvalho uh, found me on uh, DeviantArt. I guess uh, I was drawing orcs and whatever, like
1: wow. wow style stuff. What a time! You're so lucky. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. was yeah. talking long, to Ken, talking long to Kenny time ago. Days ago. Yeah, he's he's still recruiting people off DeviantArt. It's his secret source. <laughs> <laughs> it's really? This
2: is way, bef- this is way before yeah. there was an art station or any any anything good. Yeah.
1: Maybe I should start posting more on uh, on Deviant Art again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I yeah, I love Blizzard. I went there. I interviewed mm-hmm. at Blizzard for the World of Warcraft team. I, I was applying to be a character artist. Did an art test. It went pretty well, so mm-hmm. they flew me in and I interviewed there. And it was funny when they when when they were interviewing me. Uh, there was a couple of people who were actually interviewing me for multiple teams and I didn't know that. So uh, I actually interviewed with the the Diablo team and this is before Diablo was announced. Um, so nobody knew about it. Uh, and it was weird because uh, the art director, Brian Maristro at the time, he asked me, you know, well, what do you think of like, what do you think of the different games? What do you think of Starcraft? What do you think of Warcraft? What do you think of this and that? And then he asked me, what do you think of Diablo? And I was like, Oh, Diablo is the only game I don't really like, uh, that Blizzard makes, you know, it's, I'm like, I gotta be honest. It's, it's, it's just ugly and like Blizzard has such beautiful art, but Diablo is just a hideous game. Uh, (laughs) uh, That was, that was really funny. So then I got hired and then they told me after I got hired that I was hired for the Diablo team. I was like, what? I guess they liked that answer.
1: They were like, oh, I guess if you think it's so ugly, um, fix it.
2: (laughs) yeah so it was interesting because um, it was th- there was actually a few people hired to bring more of like a, a, a bit of a world of Warcraft style, more colorful, more slightly more exaggerated proportions, I think and um, to kind of bring a little bit more of that into the very dark because the team the original team for Diablo 3 was the Blizzard North team and they were, they were basically making 3D Diablo 2. Um, so yeah. it was very dark, very mm. gritty, very grimy. Um, really great artists, great guys. Um, and I think the strategy that that Brian was trying to do is take a few, a few guys. Um, it was myself, Oliver Chipping, Richie Morella, and a few of these guys who were into color and into, uh, you know, bigger, chunkier shapes and whatnot, and kind of fuse us together and, and find something in the middle. Um, and it ended up working out really well. Um, it took a while to get there, but it mm-hmm. it, uh, it yeah. blended into a, a beautiful game. I mean, I'm very proud of what we did with Diablo 3. Uh, I worked on Diablo 3 yeah. for five years, so that was the longest project I worked on.
0: Wow. Which years were that, too?
2: Uh, that was 2007 um, to ship in 2012.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, oh. that was back
2: when we were at the old building um yeah yeah 133. It, was, it, was, it was nice uh but while, while i was there i got to work on um i was i was part of the first team to get a work on uh the overwatch initial concepts uh that was that was really cool um i got to work on a lot of hearthstone cards uh back when it was world of warcraft trading cards uh, <laughs> then then it changed to uh to Hearthstone and things changed a little bit, but it was a lot of the same work. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, got to work on Mr. Pandaria, which was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. I got to help with that.
0: And I think that's where our past first, like officially crossed, right? Was Pandaria.
2: Probably. Um, I got around a lot, so I just kind of got to know lots of people at the company. Um, I wasn't one of the guys who was sitting at my desk all the time. You know, I, I tried to get to know lots and lots of people.
1: It's good to be yeah. social.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think where we actually f- first cross paths. Yeah. You know, it must've been that. It must've been that. Cause yeah, I was in, I was in some of the meetings and and whatnot there. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. I think yeah. we, like we, I think we bumped at like some of the social events and spoken before then, but I don't think we ever worked on anything together before then. Yeah, uh, Though to yeah. be fair, if, even then it wasn't until you came to riot, we really went through the, the Christ rail together. Right. Like, yeah. That was, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we can't, we can't really talk about it too much, but uh, Pete and I actually got a, picked to work on a secret project that hasn't launched yet from Riot. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Oh, and, this uh, is the man. the secret project. It's a
0: secret project. <laughs> one there. of the many, <laughs> one of <laughs> yeah. the many Riot secret projects. Mm. And I should, I should remember that you did a great job of when we were kind of like foundering a bit to kind of be, lock us down, like, okay, we got to figure some shit out, right? Mm-hmm. And that seems to be like the value proposition you bring to everything. You're like, okay, work, work for a little bit, like, okay, let's actually start locking some stuff in. What is it that goes through your head when you decide, okay, there's the moment where I need to speak up and, you know, write people, get get them back on course?
2: Well, it's, it comes from my belief that what we're supposed to be doing is deliver content to players. Um, So I don't have the R&D mindset or the, you know, let's kind of, figure things out forever over time. Um, I, I believe execution is king. So I believe if you have the right team, if your team makes a call, it's, it's going to be good because you could take, you go A, B, C, D, any of those options, you know, they're all good options. We can execute any of them. Great. So let's just go, let's just pick a direction and go. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not into the whole. (laughs) Let's like I was my biggest frustrations with both Blizzard and Riot is just the time the time um, it took. And I've 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 chilled out quite a bit (laughs) over the years, uh, but man, when I was young, yeah, I was like, let's go! Like, Mm, what are we
0: doing? (laughs) That's understandable.
1: So yeah. now that we've hit Riot, I've been waiting very patiently to ask you <laughs> about your experiences on the Ruined King. Because I am personally a very big fan of the design for Viego, so I was wondering if you had a hand in that at all.
2: Uh, I did not. I did not have a hand in any any Viego stuff Uh uh, but in the, I was I was actually very disappointed when when I saw that character.
1: <laughs> really? Why is that?
2: <laughs> uh, why is that? Uh, emo Alucard? Uh, he looks like an extra from Twilight more than uh, League of Legends character in my opinion. But, uh, that's mm. just that's just me.
1: Interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, I think that he's a good character. Designer. Oh, he's a phenomenal um, character.
2: His build, his kit is so overpowered, oh my yeah. god.
1: I mean, he's he's a very powerful character, but I mean, oh, you're familiar, of course, god. with the, the roster of the League of Legends characters. There are so, so many objectified, sexualized female characters. Oh. And, you know, it's getting a lot better with a lot of the more recent characters coming out, a lot more diverse body types, skin tones, um, and like levels of clothing, but, It's also nice to see when there are male characters who have that same level of objectification and are uh, presented to the female gaze and um, anyone who's attracted to mask presenting characters. So I thought that was pretty nice.
2: Cool, yeah, I can can totally see that. That's great.
0: Yes, thank you abs daddy for your hard service. (laughs) (laughs) His abs
1: are... Are pretty nice. Yeah, was, um, but what awesome did nice. what did you do on the Ruined King? What was your involvement with that?
2: Well, before Ruined King, I worked at at Airship. Um, that, that's not actually even Riot. Uh, I went to Riot after Diablo shipped. Um, I actually gave notice like a couple days after uh, we shipped the game, uh, which was which was great. Uh, then um, I was at Riot for six years. Yeah, I was. I was yeah. head of the, the maps team for a while. So I, I was uh, in charge of Howling Abyss, the ARAM map, and Summoner's Rift rework.
1: Oh, wow. I
0: the pirate version, too. The pirate version. I remember the game jam where everyone came in for a week. You literally said, we're going to take the art team. We're just going to deliver an ARAM map in like three days. And everyone was like... Pfft. Maybe you'll get like some stuff in there. And you guys actually did it. Yeah, like, it was Thunderdome. You Thunder just said, we can ship.
2: Yeah. yeah. Thunderdome, 48 hours, here it is.
1: So what's the process on that? Like from beginning to end, how do you create a map?
2: Uh, well, you start by deleting all the old tools and making <laughs> new ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the map process- Oh God, the, the, tool, the tooling to... it right was
0: pretty fizzle.
1: What do you mean Sorry. tools for our audience who's not necessarily familiar with the terms um, what is a tool
2: so so League of Legends is built on a very old funky engine <laughs> uh, can
0: I can I can I say it can I say it <laughs> yeah go for it It is built on the big mother truckers franchise, <laughs> which was a terrible Ooh. Russian game engine um that was basically sending trucks along icy streets uh, in, to deliver cargo.
2: Yeah, and it only and only collided with half of the things. Uh, it was a
0: yeah. <laughs> it was a very bad game.
2: Wow. Uh, so yeah, so League of Legends is yeah. built on a very old funky engine. It's it's been built up and optimized and improved a million fold by brilliant <laughs> yeah. people there. Um, but yeah. the the environment tools. I mean, there was none um, ultimately, Mm. like the game was one map and it, and there was never any tool support for it. Um, so it was, we basically did a bunch of looking at how we would have to build it. And we, we talked to the, the, the PO at the time, um, of league and said, Hey, here's the two options. We can either get it looking pretty good, pretty fast using what we have. Or if we want something really good that's a long-term win, we're going to have to delete all the tech and make new tech from scratch to make this great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, one, I can give you a real-time estimate, but the other, we don't really know because we're just going to have to start building tech and see what works. Um, yeah. And uh, he's, they, they decided, yeah, let's let's do the long-term win. You know, let's, let's really take the time to do it right. Um, it's like, okay, so... So that took it took about a year to get everything working well, and then another I don't know four to six months to to get all of the art working well because we we did the whole mega texture system where we can basically hand paint every pixel on the map. Uh, so it that was that's how I have this really nice custom hand painted look across the whole thing. Um, so uh, yeah.
0: It turned out beautiful. Yeah, and that started with Summoner's Rift, right? You built that tech for Summoner's Rift, mm-hmm. and then you were able to bring that in for the Thunderdome. Is that right?
2: Uh, well, no. ARAM was a completely different thing. We oh, we, okay. we built we built the ARAM map, Howling Abyss, the ice one, um, while we were building the tools, because we're like, okay, well, this one isn't that important, mm-hmm. so we're going to we're going to break everything on this. <laughs> so, so we built that whole thing and we're like, how does depth work? Oh, this thing doesn't understand depth. You can't see down cause there is no down. There's oh, like, dear. like, Oh, so we had to build It's So it's the weirdest engine ever. I was like, how can you not look over a cliff? Like that's, that's not a thing. Nope. It doesn't see below zero. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> we had to build a lot of really basic stuff. We had no alpha, like no, no alpha, like no transparency. There was no, no transparency,
1: transparency
2: layer. No, there was no transparency. It did not exist. What? <laughs> we had to build tech to get transparency to work. We're like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, so yeah, so we broke a million things making a RAM. Um, and then we had most of the tools in a decent place to make uh, Summoner's Rift. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was great times. And then, yeah, then we made the, we, yeah, for Thunderdome, one of my things, one of my major things I wanted to push while I was at riot is I felt like riot has all this amazing, brilliant talent. Um, but they're a ton of people are basically, um, they're just kind of, I don't, I don't even know what, what the, what the word is for, but they're just, it feels like they're just kind of stuck in the mud. Um, because there isn't any, there wasn't a lot of legit timelines. It was very explorative and it was like, okay, well, mm. let's try something. Okay, let's try something else. Okay, let's try something else, let's try something else. Um, so I wanted to push the idea of let's use Thunderdome to show people how fast we can make high quality stuff. So Thunderdome is this cool thing. It's, a, it's basically a two day game jam um, that Riot does every six months. So every time I was like, let's, let's get a big ass team together and uh, cause Thunderdome was normally like two to three to four people on a team. And I would make these 20, 25 at the last one. I mean, we did a 50 person team, uh, <laughs> we'd make these. And we, uh, it was funny cause IT hated us. Cause we had to, they had to set up like power for us. Cause we had a bunch of Cintiqs which take a ton of energy and
1: all Oh, things. I see.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, to get a little clarification to that, right. Uh, it wasn't just that you got to take the time off, which they offered every person in the company, two days off, do whatever you want. Just, you have to have a start, diminish it and show off what you make at the end. Um, they would also, for the bigger teams, actually reorganize like the cafeteria. So you could all be sitting together and be like talking and they'd bring food and support and all of that stuff. So. When it was a small team, you just jam a couple of desks together, and you're good to go. For this 25 person team, they had to run power and Ethernet to the cafeteria to support these 30, 40, you know, state workstations.
1: <laughs> I can see why IT would feel frustrated.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was rough. Uh,
1: but it sounds fun.
2: Yeah, always a yeah. blast. It was the grit, like Riot is so awesome for doing that. Like uh, the just the fact that they're willing to, you know, take three days basically for, for everybody twice a year, you know, that everybody can do it and, and the whole company. So you have people who are completely different disciplines, trying out crazy things. There's people who are baking cookies. There's people who are knitting sweaters with poros on them. Like there's all sorts of just crazy stuff. It was so mm-hmm. awesome. Like I, I give right. So much credit for that.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah i i remember when uh I, one of the ones that i worked on it was making the word icons of all things right which was just like oh this is a nice little feature and then a week later i went to richard huff and i was like richard can we just check this in he's like not supposedly but i'm not gonna, i'll look the other way while you do it <laughs> nice. i did it and then the qa was like oh hey here's a couple of bugs fixed the bugs went live and people like this is cool. And suddenly you could see your little eyeballs on the map where you placed your wards, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, there's so many cool features and so many cool things that came from Thunderdome. Um one of the great yeah. things was uh do you remember uh arcade? It was arcade as a skin yes. line. Yeah, arcade yes. as a skin line was pitched. With- it was Hecarim. Yeah. Hecarim was the Was first. it Hecarim? Yeah. <gasps> Yeah, you're with the, right. With the rainbow unicorn hair. And yes. The, yes. And because
0: um with the rainbow swinging tail, because in Cat. Yeah. Nyon Cat had just come out at that point. Yeah, yeah. that skin so, is awesome.
1: So,
2: so that was a pitch that was actually rejected. Um, and then the team was the team was so passionate about it. They're like, we're just gonna do this during Thunderdome and prove that yeah. it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um so they did it and it did. Yeah. It was awesome. Like everyone loved it at the company. Uh, There was there used to be a voting thing, like Mm -hmm. when when Thunderdome was first going. There was this vote, but we actually won like five times in a row, and then they just stopped voting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because at that point it was just a little bit of a landslide. (laughs) Yeah, so we we were
2: kind of we were kind of skewing the system there. Um,
1: Nice little ego boost, though. I'm sure it made you feel very good about the work that you were doing.
2: Yeah, it shouldn't be a competition, though. Yeah. Like, also, I mean, no, we're, we're doing no. giant teams of people creating full games and, and stuff at some point. Yeah, uh,
0: I mean, uh, isn't that where the uh, Hextech game originally came from? Where uh, Bomberman Ziggs, right? Yeah, it was one yeah. of the first things that came out. Wait, hmm. um, didn't you also lead the team that actually launched the game, like, live to players yes. during Thunderdome? Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you get shit done. That is the Pete Cooper, I get shit done, even when nobody else wants to. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I burned some bridges on that one, though. Like... Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, hell? but that was, most, that was publicity and PR people. Like, eh, whatever. Let's not go into that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Thunderdome was an internal thing. And I was like, well, you know, our goal is we aspire to be the most player-focused company in the world. So how about we do something for players? So my pitch was, we're going to make a game in 24 hours that the players will vote on and the oh, vote, yes. The vote will end the moment Thunderdome starts. So we have no time for pre-production at all, and we will do all this live oh. and share it on on uh, social media and ask players for feedback and ideas, and we'll throw them into the game, and we will ship a thing in forty eight hours.
1: What was so, the vote?
2: Uh, what's up?
1: What was the vote? What were you? Oh, what did you ask players?
2: So we came up with. 10 themes and, and five game ideas. So the themes were all the major ones like Hextech, Arcade, uh, uh pirates. I, I forget what the, you know, a bunch of the ma- the most popular skin lines for Lee. Yeah. Um, and then we had game game types. We just said rhythm game, side scroller, uh, uh, some kind of shooter thing puzzle, uh, or platformer i don't i don't remember exactly but so we basically said here it is we want to throw it out to players and what i was told is that is completely impossible there is no chance you can make you can do this and have a game done in in 48 hours without pre-production i was told by many people many high-level people that that is not possible and i was like well i mean you guys have seen us make the aram map that you said was impossible the pirate one you've seen us make a bunch of stuff that's you've said is impossible uh one time we made um one time there was there was a there was a sentiment that only certain people could get actual games or products approved and I was like, no, that's not true. Anyone can pitch a game or an idea or a mode or anything. Like, that's one of the great things about Riot. Anyone can yeah. pitch these things. And if it's great, it, it can get through. And I wanted, and we wanted to prove that. So we did one Thunderdome where we're like, we're going to make a game. Well, we're going to make a pitch, basically a demo for a game. And we're going to have a team of a few people who are making a pitch deck while with a budget and, and everything like team, all that stuff. And then uh, the other part of the team is making an actual playable demo. And we're going to prove that we can actually get this, get this through. Uh, and we did, we did it. We made the game. I can't say anything about it. I can't say what it is or anything, but, uh, uh, and we went all the way through the whole approval process and it actually got approved to, to be an actual product. Uh, we didn't actually want to make it, so we just kind of killed it. <laughs> uh, but we we proved that we proved that it's a thing that uh, that anyone anyone at the company can do that, and and that's one of the au- most awesome things about Riot.
1: You sound like the fairy godmother from specifically the Rodgers and Hammerstein version of Cinderella. There's a whole song that like the lyrics sound exactly like what you're saying.
2: <laughs> well, cool
0: i'll take it yeah
2: i'll take that as a comment I, I
0: pre-
1: impossible things I pre- are possible
0: i personally prefer impossible when do you want it <laughs> uh,
2: yeah 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 that was that was funny man i
0: i, I don't want to yeah.
2: name any man there's i i really upset some people over there yeah <laughs> uh,
0: well uh, to be fair sometimes when you upset people it says more about them than it does about what you did right um yeah, yeah. anyways
2: Yeah, I I get it. I mean, there's there's people who are in charge of PR and marketing and brand and all this stuff. And and when someone throws out a crazy idea that they think can potentially hurt the brand, I understand. I I understand the position that they have to take. but I also understand me. I went over everyone's head and said, "You know what? I'm going straight to Mark Merrill, and and I'm going to pitch him this, and he approved mm-hmm. it." And I said, "Sorry guys, yeah. sorry to everybody. I had to stomp on uh, <laughs> to get it approved because I yeah. truly thought it was the best thing we could do for players, and players loved it. And we we yeah. shipped it. We gave it to players. Uh, it had, uh, it had something like, God, what was the the last count?" I don't remember, but it had over a million players uh, play the little mini game we put out uh, and they, they loved it. So
1: Yeah, that's really
2: awesome. And
0: you know, and we've see, yeah, and we've seen since then that Riot's been more open to making smaller titles and throwing things out there. Blitzcrank Cook game and Yeah, that was know, awesome. The, yeah, oh. right. Like, yeah. Yeah, oh, like wasn't that number one
2: on, on the App Store? Yeah, yeah. It was number one
0: on the App Store, right? It's yeah. just like hey, so these good. things can happen. Whether they are valuable or not is a different question, right? And that's opening people's minds to like, hey, you don't have to do these colossal, mammoth, super successful League of Legends, Legends of Runeterra games, right? You can do things that are different sizes and it can be okay. And players can love it and you can do a service.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: If I was working on a Thunderdome for Riot, if I worked at Riot, I would make a dress up game where you could take the character models from any of the champions and then make them wear whatever you wanted, like any of the costume pieces from any of the skins and maybe some other stuff too. And I think it would be very monetarily (laughs) successful because people love to customize the appearance of their characters, so.
0: I, I would love to see Kha'Zix in a Caitlyn hat. So you know what? Don't let your dreams be dreams, Ari. <laughs> <laughs> Do it.
2: I'd right. love to see Urgot um, in all the all the <laughs> Ari costumes.
0: Oh my God. Yes. Uh, K-pop Urgot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let, let's move forward, right? So, um, right. You had, we worked together on a project with Riot. You know, you decided to move on and work on some other, other stuff. Um, I've, now, one of the big things about you I've known is you've always been a great family man. I remember I coming over for Halloween, and you and your kids were just decorating the whole place, and you guys went over the top, right? So, mm-hmm. how is the how is your family? How has that been, like the family experience plus being a game developer, because it can be pretty brutal. How has it been for you guys? Yeah, it yeah. can
2: it can definitely be brutal, um, and you know there 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 has been a lot of times where I have worked too much for my family um uh, where you know that's i would say that's one of one of my regrets is that not spending a bit more time uh with with the family um you know i was so career driven um that you know i I wanted to get as far as i could and be as successful as i could and be an example of success to my kids um Mm -hmm. i did spend a lot of time with them but not as much as i should have or wish i would have um Mm -hmm. and the thing is it's it's important to remember that uh your career is you know is who knows 30 40 50 years but kids are only a certain age for a very small window so it's like it goes by really fast um you know the the window the window of between five years old and 15 which is basically when you actually can do cool things with your kids, because once they're 15, they don't give a shit what you say. Anyway. Um, you know, that's that little, that, that small 10 year window goes really fast. So, uh, you know, I, I highly suggest anyone, uh, make sure you keep that in mind if you do have kids. Um, I, I mean, I loved, I love spending time with my kids. I love doing, uh, yeah, I loved holidays, Christmas, Halloween. We did all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, I've, it was, it was a blast. Uh, I just, I wish, I wish there was more. I wish it was a little more balanced towards the family over the, uh, over the job for that window. As,
0: have things in the industry gotten better? I mean, your kids are now grown, right? So your career and their childhood have literally overlapped completely.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, I was in college. Uh, full sale when my daughter was zero, when my youngest daughter was zero. Yeah. Um, and now she's 19. Uh, so yeah, it's been, uh, <laughs> so my entire career, I basically had kids at three, I have three daughters, um, who are now, uh, 19, 20 and 23. Uh, mm. so yeah, yeah. Now they're, now they're all old and they're all gone. They've, they've escaped <laughs> to do their own lives, uh. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, with where things are now with, with the fam. Um, um, here with my wife, actually my daughter, my oldest daughter actually lives with us now because, uh, she's a, she was a hairdresser in LA when, when COVID happened. So, uh, oh, yeah, so, That's terrible. yeah. So, so that whole industry was nuked, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. How, how was the paternity leave? Um, when you had your your kids?
2: Uh, I was I was in the army when I had my two younger kids. so oh, wow. um, so paternity leave was pretty good um, but you know I was deployed when they were young, I was deployed twice to, to Kuwait. so uh, I missed a, a, a chunk of, of life there for two years. I was just playing in the desert. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that thank you for doing really that, hard.
2: right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was good times.
1: If you were uh, in the military, then you weren't in game development at that time, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so how did you get into game design? How did you decide that that was the career path for you?
2: Um, I've I've been a hardcore gamer since I was a since before I can remember. You know, since I was a little kid, I used to draw little. Board games for me and my brothers to play, and uh, I've I've always just loved games. I had the Sega Master System and the NES, you know, back in '86 ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I've I've always I've always loved games. I have always known I want to do something with games. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's just it's just been a lifelong passion. So I I started when I was, God, was it fifteen? Um, I I worked at a game store, you know, as, as soon as I could, and then uh, within I god not even six months, uh, I I was became the manager of the store, you know, because I was by far the most knowledgeable. I knew everything about every mm-hmm. game. Uh, back when back when you could know everything about every game, you know, games didn't mm-hmm. come out a thousand a day like they do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I managed a couple different game stores uh, growing up. Uh, in my early years uh and then uh, we had my youngest or my my first daughter was born and she was born with a muscle deficiency mm. um so we looked at we looked at uh therapy and the cost of physical therapy for babies is you know f- way more than I was ever going to make uh, as a manager of a game store <laughs> so uh, so we looked at, we researched it and we realized, oh, the, the military and government jobs, you know, co- totally cover that stuff. So, yeah, so that's, that's, I decided to join and oh. take care of my kid.
0: I yeah. see. That was incredibly responsible of you, right? Like being able to say, Hey, this is what's important to me and do it. You had to do that. And it's rough that you went through that. So, um, yeah, I suspect she's incredibly grateful.
2: Well, I mean, she's she's a she's a young adult, so uh, yeah, I'm sure oh, she wow. will be someday. <laughs>
1: well, I I wish you didn't have to do that. Um, but were you oh. doing art before you were in college and trained for it? Were you doing it casually for fun, or were you even trying to study it, knowing that it was something that you were planning to do?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've always I've always been into art. Um, I was I was trying to get a job as a comic book artist. Um, for for a, quite a while um i actually ended up doing storyboards for a pilot tv show for a while um mm. and this was before I, there was any kind of realization that wait video games are a job like you know vi- that, that was not a yeah. job when i was mm-hmm. young you know mm-hmm. it was just a couple guys making beep boop op crap in their basement um and then selling them to atari or nintendo right like there was no such thing as an art job in video games. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, that wasn't even on the radar for me. But then once, once, you know, uh, once the disc game started coming out, you know, PlayStation, I started hearing about, Oh, there's actual jobs and you know, they they need people to make art for video games. Like, Whoa, okay.
1: That must've been exciting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an exciting time. I remember, uh, I remember, uh, playing soul reaver, um, actually it was in the bay area california and we had some guys from crystal dynamics who would come in and bring us copies of of their games and i remember playing soul reaver and one of the guys i was talking to was like yeah you know we're, we're looking to hire uh, a couple artists and i'm like what that's like a job I'm like wow that <laughs> just it didn't even dawn on me that that was the thing uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so yeah then i was like yeah i absolutely want to do this like forget comic books you know video games is my first
0: love you know so
1: yeah it's yeah, like so comic let, books that you can be a part of.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So let's talk a bit about art and what eventually became art leadership, right? Was what you mm-hmm. did and did well. Um, what, uh, is there a particular project you would like to single out or talk about, like where you learned some lessons or got to work on things in a way that you feel like would be educational to so the designers and artists listening to this podcast now?
2: Um, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, Because my experience is so different because I came up when the industry was so different, when being a generalist was like hyper sought after, you know, and Mm. uh, that's one of the reasons I was so successful early on is because I could animate, I could model, I could texture, I could concept, I could kind of go from zero to finished product by myself. Um, Well, with some technical help. Um, uh, where now, uh, I see people trying to do that and it's like, don't, please don't do that. That's, that's not the, that's not the way to go. Uh, the more nowadays, the more specialized you are, the better you are, you know? Um, so, you know, I've, uh, that it's, it's helped me with the art leadership angle very much because, um, I'm capable because I've done every art job in the industry outside of VFX. That's the only one I haven't done, but I have done concept art. I have done character modeling, environment, art, uh, animation. I've done all of the different disciplines. So I understand how long things take. I understand what the tools, what the process looks like. I can communicate very well to, uh, to all the disciplines. So that works super well from an art director role. Um, Uh, but nowadays, uh, I would never recommend that to people. Mm. (laughs) So you recommend specializing then? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I do a lot of portfolio reviews and talk to a lot of students and do mentoring. Um, one thing, if a piece of advice I would have for artists is make sure you are, working from if you're if you're doing modeling or texturing or any anything or animation make sure you're working from the best assets you can find or the best if you're modeling work from the best concept art you can find there's this weird perception that's been a constant that you have to make your own art um and that's horrible and dangerous and you're you're if you want to be a modeler that there's no chance you're a phenomenal illustrator so stop it like find an amazing concept to make models from if you're an animator there's no chance you're amazing phenomenal at making your own models and rigs you you just need to prove that you can animate so find mm-hmm. fantastic things to then make move uh I keep seeing just endless portfolios of bad stuff because people think they have to make all of their own stuff. That's that's awful. Like, don't don't do it. Um, when it comes yeah. to and like then people who have those, what's that?
0: Yeah, people. And then people who have those talents, right, can be occluded by the messiness of the model or the weakness of the concept, right? When they may have the requisite skills, and while there is some decision making, right, that goes into that, it's like, hey. Um, I do like if I'm looking at an animation, I don't care if someone stole Link from Super Smash Brothers and made some sick ass animations, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cool, do that. I don't care if you're a designer and you jumped into Skyrim and made an amazing quest using all prefabricated assets, because that proves to me you can do the work. I don't care, like, what the medium is, as long as the piece that you are crafting is expressed and expressed well.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm, I'm constantly telling people, do the job you want. Mm -hmm. Like that job is if you work at a a big studio, you are going to be handed a concept. You are going to be handed a game to work within. You're going to be handed as a designer, you know, you're, you're coming in to work on their game. So you're going to be working within their constraints. Uh, you know, if, if you're an animator, you're going to be handed a great model that's rigged. You just make it move. Like, don't try to do all the things, just do the job you want. Um,
1: Do you think the fear is legal repercussions from using other people's intellectual property?
2: I hear about that quite a bit. And um, I know literally a thousand artists across the industry, and there's only one person, which I should call out right now because he's kind of a jackass for it, but I'm not going to, um, who actually... Is who doesn't want people using his stuff. Uh, everyone I've ever talked to is not only fine with people using their concepts to make things from they're they're honored. They think it's very cool. They're humbled by it. Uh, they're like, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, as long as you give credit. So if you post on our station, you say, here's my cool model concept by this person with a link to them. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. No one, in, in, unless you're trying to sell it, Somehow, like if you're trying to literally make money, nobody cares if anyone uses anybody's stuff for portfolio work. That's that's mm. yes, that it, it does not matter. Like it's not an issue. And everyone who says it's an issue, I'd love to talk to someone. I want to talk to professionals who actually say this is an issue, because I I only hear the only people I hear who say this is an issue is a bunch of solo YouTube artists or people who have never actually literally worked in the industry, maybe freelancers who are just making it up. I don't know. I don't know where this info is getting out from, but.
1: Maybe it's different um, in animation as opposed to within game development. But that was what I was taught in university by professors Mm. who worked at companies like Disney. So.
2: They would say, you can't take our model and make it move. They, would, they say, would say,
1: "Do not make fan art. Do not use other people's resources."
0: They're <laughs> so wrong. They're okay? completely Even in wrong. writing, like like fan fiction. Right, uh, Devin Giel. Do you remember working with Devin, uh, Pete? She used to say, "Like yeah, yeah. fan fiction was one of the best things to train me to work in another company's IP because I'm working with all of their parts. I'm just making the dolls move and telling my story using those pieces, and that's what you're doing. with you're a narrative writer." or an animator or uh, you know, even a character creator, a lead, right? You're using existing pieces that someone else has put together. Like that's the job, that is the job. So why do we shame it in the educational structure?
1: I mean, I've, I've definitely heard that perspective echoed by a lot of different people, but um, from what I understood from these professors who were pretty high level animators within Disney, what they would see is that people who would use Disney's intellectual property would end up being blacklisted from hiring. And they wouldn't work with those people. They wouldn't hire those people because they said, "Well, you have stolen our property, so you don't respect our property, so you can't work for our company." Well,
0: that sounds I like think, evil business people.
2: <laughs> I think I think back in the day there was some of that going on because back in the day there wasn't like when a lot of these people used to work in the in the industry there wasn't access to things like there is now. Um, mm. You know, if in order to get a Disney model from you know, 20 years ago, you had to have, you had to be basically stealing it or pirating it or something, right. Where nowadays it's completely different. Like you can get 10 different one-to-one Buzz Lightyear models from TurboSquid or, you know, any, any asset buying store, right? Like it's, it's not the same anymore. Um, mm. the whole fan art argument I think that was legit way back, like a long time ago, but nowadays, fan art is actually one of the best things you can possibly do simply because if if you're showing that you like someone's IP, that means you know you're you're into it, you're passionate about it, and the likelihood that they see your art is way higher. Like whenever when I when I was at riot, And whenever on our station, some cool fan art of Tom Kench showed up, someone made their own skin of some really cool Tom Kench skin with showed abilities and everything. Everyone saw that everyone at riot saw this person's work because wow, they're doing our stuff. Of course we saw it. Like Mm -hmm. that's you're, you're getting eyes on the people who make the product and also like fan art. Think about what's monetized today. Skins, is like the major thing for for almost every free to play game all skins are is fan art i want to make you know steampunk hecarum like like that is literally what fan art is that's that is what is sold now so the idea of making fan art is bad uh i buy it a little bit for the past but absolutely not now or in the future
0: it's nothing better
1: well, good to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And this is one of those things I would say is a positive change, right? It's just getting it recognized by the people doing the work, right? Because we don't need young people scared of, do, of working on things they're passionate about. We're finding something that will get them past the resistance to create, right? I, I know, mm-hmm. you know, that beginning stages is so important to just like, I want to make what is on the other side. And then you can get into the refinement stages. I don't care if they're learning that by drawing Mickey Mouse or if they're learning that by drawing Rembrandt or um, you know any sort of thing, if it's getting them through those skill hurdles, right? Just, great, right, do it, please. Get Absolutely.
2: better. Absolutely, 100% agree, for sure. Uh, and <clears throat> a really important thing though is, um, I've made the mistake a couple times of times on telling people to do fan art without explaining to them the importance of doing mainstream fan art. So, Mm. uh, (laughs) so I've had a couple of students who are like, okay, "Okay, I'll do some fan art. And then they do fan art of their favorite super obscure game that is like nothing else out there. Um, and that's not going to help you get a job. Like it's very important. If you have, if you're, if you want to do fan art and fan art is great, make sure you're doing something really mainstream because the way the business works is if you're making a. Sci-fi game, for instance, Um, Mm. if if you want to make some sci-fi art, make sure it looks like Mass Effect or Halo or Destiny or whatever. It fits into one of the really mainstream games that are making a fortune because there are a thousand sci-fi games being made across the industry. And the majority of them are basically copying what the big ones who are making a billion dollars are doing visually. Um, So if your game fits, if your art fits into Halo or Mass Effect or Destiny, it's also going to fit into the thousand other people who are trying to copy that. So you instantly become infinitely more hireable. Uh, So keep things super mainstream.
1: That's interesting. So you're saying... It, it almost seems counterintuitive to me because I feel like it would be better to do something that's unique, that stands out from the crowd. But you're seeming to say it's better yeah. to do something that fits in with the crowd.
2: So the idea of uniqueness is a very artiste mentality. Um, it's not real. It's if you want to be a gallery artist, being unique is awesome. If you want to, if you want to, you know, uh, you know, carry around a palette and, you know, get a. Get the little hat with the little sideways band. What are those called? Those berets? berets? Be like, oh, I am a magnifique artiste. I do my own thing. Yeah. No, that's not. In, in the real world of production, the job is we need someone to fit in with the game we're making. It mm-hmm. is. If you are unique, you know, unique means not fit in. Right. Like that's, that's totally the opposite of what production art is. Uh, so. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've constantly heard this and I'm constantly, constantly driving me crazy. Uh, people think being unique is good. Uh, being unique is good. If you want to be a Twitch streamer or you want to, you know, do your own thing. If you want a job fitting in and just making really high quality stuff is how you, how you can become part of a team. Um, And it's really only a junior artist issue. Right. It's, it's because, you know, once you're in the industry, you're in the industry, it's, it's you move around and whatever, but getting in is really hard and how junior roles are filled at most studios is they're like, okay, we're, we're in full production of, you know, we need to ship the game in a year. Okay. We need five more bodies to just make this generic stuff okay, let's find some junior people, right? And that's that's the amazing way to get experience for junior people. But how they do that is they need to be able to fit in with whatever's being made. If anyone has anything unique, they're off the table. Like, I mean, they just, you can't use anything super unique. It has to be stuff that fits in. So,
1: mm-hmm. Well, of course, yeah. the artists have to be able to style match, but you don't think that people bring in their own individual... Um, flare that contributes and makes the overall product better.
2: Nope. Nope.
1: Interesting. Sounds quite nope. soul crushing. Do it's
2: <laughs> it, it, it's about paying dues, right? Like I think I think that's an issue that we have today is people don't, don't understand the, the the importance of you need to pay your dues. Like you you are going to come in and do crap work on day one as a junior. Anything like that? That's why you're there because you have senior people who have crap work that they don't want to do. That, that, is, that is the role of a junior person. So, yeah. But there's
0: but a yeah, big caveat that but there's the reciprocation of that. You could then get the role modeling and experience of these more talented people who will then level up your craft with you by critiquing you, some will be critiquing you, some will be supportive, right? There's different human interaction styles and you will become better. And then you will hit that threshold where suddenly you can start pushing things a little bit.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Once you, once you prove yourself, no doubt, you know, you get promoted, you move up, you you know, and then you're making the calls and you're hiring the next junior person who's doing the crap work you don't want to do. All right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and, you know, before it sounds too soul crushing, I remember when we hired a whole bunch of interns from Laguna college, right on wow. And um, we needed environmental artists and we needed people to paint plants. I remember we brought Kelly and uh, one other um, environment artist and they worked with, um, oh gosh, why am I? Gary, Gary Plattner, right? Oh, yes. Like, cool. Yeah. Good old Gary, right? And he sat them down and he's like, all right, look, your job is to paint plants, but you know what? You're going to have to make the most beautiful plants you want. Um, Here are the concepts you're working from. So start with these. I want you to make exactly these. And after that, we can talk about what kind of things you think should be embellished and added on it. And they did. And they got really good, very fast working with Gary and the concept artists and um oh man, it just it was wild, right? They just got so good so fast that at the end it was like they were just at the same quality levels, as every other environment artist, right? Even just in that two, three month window. They really level up. That's, That's awesome. wonderful. So what's something I actually really want to hear a little bit about from you, Pete, is how to really integrate the interactions between art teams and design teams, right? I've been a designer for 25 years now. And um you know, I've always been really hard on the tech side, right? The tech program, the programmers, and I—we speak the same language, we think the same way. Um, I've always been a little bit weaker, right, in the art side of things and integrating with the artists. Um, would you kind of like walk through what a good interaction with design looks like for someone who is as you know senior and experienced as you are, working with designers and helping the artists work with designers as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of of making games is is the 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 fun challenges of cross-disciplinary teamwork you know uh, we all need each other to make great stuff uh, so one thing i have found over over many years of of failing and and learning how to do this is understanding what everybody is, what everyone's motivations are um yeah because when you start talking to people it's it very quickly turns into here's the task, here's the task, here's the task, right? It's here's the task from design, here's the task from programming. Uh, But if you just kind of stop and think about people as people and say, okay, what are the things that you're passionate about? What are the things that motivate you? Like what what are you actually trying to achieve holistically big picture wise? Um, And you very quickly, I've found that you find out, okay, this designer really cares about telling visual stories in the world. Like this is the thing that they love. So, any ideas I can help inject uh, to to further promote the thing that they care about the most on the project um, is going to you know it's going to just give make us have a better relationship and, and make things good. And and then making sure that it's clear to the designers what it is that I care about. Um, it should never be a one-way scenario. You know, I've worked on teams where it's like super art driven. I've worked on teams where it's super design driven. Uh, I've worked on teams where it's super tech driven. Um, the best teams I've worked on are when it's hyper collaborative and everyone is working toward the same goal. It, it, there isn't, there isn't a lot of hierarchy. It's just kind of, I mean, everyone is in charge of their own thing. Um, but the overall product is, is really collaborative. So, one thing I would always suggest to designers is make sure don't just give artists tasks because they're just going to then just do the work to exactly what you want. And it's going to likely going to be bare minimum. Um, if you make sure you're asking them, what is it that they care about? What do they, what, what can they bring to the table? Like what, what is, what did they really like on the project or, or here's this idea that I would love to see implemented is there any thoughts you have on this that, that could potentially make it better? Um, mm-hmm. you know, just getting that, getting that investment from people is going to make people just want to work with you so much more. Um, yeah. so I'd prefer yeah.
1: to work that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I, I hate when I'm on projects and just handed a piece of work without understanding the mission, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, Hey, I'm not, I want to understand what are you after, right? After revenue? Okay, we understand you're optimizing for that. Are you after a, a creative vision? Okay, well, we're optimizing for that. Um, and uh, I remember read this great book. It was by a guy named Simon Sinek who could said, start with why, right? Start with your why, figure out the how, and then you'll inevitably end up in the yes. what, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're starting with the what, you're sitting there and you're just building things mm-hmm. and they may not be aligned towards a goal. And then everyone's arguing like, did you ever work with Ryan Scott?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very briefly. Yeah. yeah. It's a great guy.
0: And you were, yeah, great guy. He, I, so I had this argument with a guy named Brent, um, uh, Brandon Wenban. And, um, we were arguing, it doesn't even matter what the topic was. And, uh, we were going on and on and on and we were thinking about, it was late in the evening and we were ever, most people had left. So Ryan was walking the floor and he just heard the two of us going at it in like one of those, uh, the one-on-one rooms and he opened the door. He's like, what are you guys still arguing about? You've been in here for two and a half hours. And we're like this and this, and Alex believes in this, and I believe in this, and it seems like there should be some space in between. And, and Ryan just sat down He's like, okay guys, you're both seniors. You both should be able to sort this stuff out, but I'm just gonna give you one tool, one tool to think about, and it'll probably fig- you'll probably solve this in five minutes. <laughs> and he sat down and he said, okay, I want you guys to figure out what you're still arguing about. And here's the three layers of argument. All right, it's layer one. Are you, do you have, dis, do you have different, different goals, right? If you're both have different goals, you've got to pick a goal and go with it, right? Um, or figure out you know what percentage of each goal you're gonna take. Are you arguing about uh, weights, the priority or importance of some aspect, but you have the same goal already. That's, you know, have you already gotten from stage one to stage mm-hmm. two? And then lastly, only once you've talked about you know, the goal and how important it is relative to other things, the actual implementation of what you're doing. And then we stopped. We sat down. We unpacked our goals. Okay, our goals were pretty aligned, but it was oh, I was really v- valuing player choice, and he was super valuing ease of ease of no nope, someone not making a mistake. And we're like, oh, well, what if we just give everyone a free ward on a cooldown period, and then we give you fifty gold, and you can buy a ward or you can buy a, buy a potion. And we were like, yeah, that pretty much solves our debate here, <laughs> as opposed to saying what if, which item do we stick in someone's inventory every time, right? And right that's what it is mm-hmm. it's communicating what you really care about in a way the other person respects it understands it and then you sort out the details
2: absolutely that's fantastic what a great story that's that's awesome yeah i worked um do you remember oh no he didn't he didn't work it right he worked at blizzard uh i don't know if you remember uh jake soans he was
0: no jake Sohn's was after my time i i was out in 2012. I
2: okay yeah, he, he told me something pretty interesting a, a long time ago. That was that was uh a, a designer's job isn't to come up with all the ideas, it's to it's to gather the ideas from the team and parse them into something that is great, right? Um and that general idea has always really resonated with me of of. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, and it's the same with kind of any director role, like an art director's job isn't to dictate what art is. It's to, you know, gather the strengths of the team and, you know, coalesce into something wonderful. Um, and that's, that's the kind of designer that I've always loved working with is, is the kind that's, all about making sure the team is heard. And then of course they have the final say, and of course, you know, they're calling a lot of shots, but before the shots are called, they're asking the team, like, what, what, what ideas do you guys have? What, like, what, what do you guys want to do? It's not just here is, here's this, you know, here is, here is my vision, make my vision. (laughs) You know, Uh, I think a lot of young designers fall into that trap. Uh, and, uh, just uh, try to avoid that. Make sure you know you're working with people, and the more you collaborate, the the better time you're going to have throughout your whole career.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, more people are always going to have better, bigger ideas than if it's just one person working alone. There's rare, only rare instances where a lone designer can create the entire process.
0: Yeah, and some of the worst environments I've been in, because since then I've worked with a lot of teams, right? And the most toxic. Awful teams to work in are ones where there's one guy who thinks he's the design auteur and leading people down terrible design choices, thinking that they understand it because it was their original idea, not realizing actually your job as the as the originator of an idea is to cultivate people better than you, to give you better ideas, and do better job on anything that you could have done, right? I will hire Pete. Pete's going to do better and make better direction decisions. I hire Ari. Ari's going to know more about illustration than I ever will in my life, right? Um, and also video editing. I just want people to know Ari fucking edit, Ari edits <laughs> all the video content in this channel, nice. and is amazing. Thank you. Um, and yeah, well, it's, it's really it's just incredibly important work, right? And that's leadership. Leadership is not it, it's not pointing in a direction and then micromanaging every single person like it's Starcraft. It is saying we're going over there, guys. How with the team we have? How do we best do it? And then if you end up in a really bad situation maybe pivoting and moving people to the other mountain but you know that's that's <laughs> a different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Pete, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show and to get your insight and your perspective. So, thank you so much for coming on today.
2: Oh, we're already done.
1: Oh. I know hard I to believe an hour passed so so quickly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, this has been yeah. this has been great.
0: Yeah, Pete, uh, you know, um obviously, you know, working with you, it's been, man, spending a very long part of our lives and our careers. And I've always been just, I've always been inspired, List, how capable you are of saying, hey, let's move forward and actually make things with it. Right. And that has always been what you've brought to every team you've been on. Um, And I just have to say that having worked in these glacial companies, right, you were always a spark of fire uh, in each of them. And I've really appreciated that every time I've worked with you.
2: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been great. Uh, I've got to work with you and so many other awesome people. Uh, it's, it's been a wonderful career and now I get to be a junior generalist uh, on my own thing. Uh, so check out a uh, creaturecauldron.com if you want to see what I'm working on. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much. And to our audience, if you have any questions for Pete, go ahead and put that in the comments down below and remember to like and subscribe and we'll see you all next time. Bye.
2: All right. Thanks so much. See you.
0: Bye. You bet. Cheers.